My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. All right, welcome to Our Sunday School. Let's dig in. So if you got your Bibles, head over to Mark. We'll do a quick review of a couple of big questions that we looked at last week. So the first one there on your handout, yes, we are back to Staples. Welcome to Staple. Embrace the Staple. The Staple is good. All right. So uh, what is a gospel? Uh, so the gospel is the good news of redemption through Jesus Christ. But a gospel is one of the first four New Testament books telling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we're doing with this very likely multi-year study in Mark is looking at just the gospel of Mark. Now, if you didn't get a, uh, a map for the back of your copy of Mark, uh, you can pick one up on the, what's that called? The music stand right over there. Excellent. <laughs> like it, it holds paper. I don't know. It's the, I don't, not a musician, so, <laughs> right? Thanks. Uh, but you can put one in the back of your a uh, copy of Mark. If you don't have a copy of Mark, I've got one for you this morning. I restocked this week. Uh, thank you, Amazon. Skip, great job. Where are you at, Skip? Yep, he's eating. That's fantastic. So, uh, so there's that. Uh, you will notice on your handouts today that there are no blanks. So just, we're going to experiment here. We're going to experiment today. Today's my experimentation. So no blanks. Uh, but I have highlighted a couple of things that I want to kind of focus on as we go through. So, so how many of us have read Mark since we assigned it back at the end of December? Read Mark all the way through? All right, we're getting there. This is better. So if you have not yet read Mark, I'll give you the same advice I did last week. Totally ignore everything I say today. Open your Bible, start at Mark chapter 1, read through Mark. It will be far more beneficial than anything I have to say about the text itself. So... That's your recommendation for today. Now, this week, uh, this week our approach, uh, what we plan to do each week, is to read, explain, apply, and personalize. This is our standard approach in Sunday school. Um, however, what we've done in the past is we have waited on the apply and the personalize until the very end of the lesson, and we're going to bring those up and kind of do them as we see them, as we come across them uh, in the series in Mark. Now, flip over to the back side of your handout, all the way to the very last page. What do you see listed there for the apply and the personalize? Nothing. You have my teacher notes. For some of you, this will scare you a bit. For others, I need your engagement today. So here we go. All right, so back on uh, page five, the first page of your notes. And for those of you wondering why I would number the first page of a handout, page five, it's because it's not the first page of the handout. This is a longer series that we are in. Um, so we, all these resources are available at OurSundaySchool.com. You can go there and check all that stuff out. So let's talk about uh, reading Mark, right? So did you bring your copy of Mark? Everybody got your copy of Mark? Doug, you want me to read out of this one? I can't read out of this one. I'm not that good yet. So I could read the first verse. I got that one down pat, but no, I can't read out of the rest of it. So that's my Greek New Testament. All right, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read out loud, and you guys follow along. That would be very beneficial. Now, hopefully very soon, your copy of Mark that you've got 
your copy of Mark that you've got <laughs> is going to look a lot like this. Uh, Thesa, can you show everybody yours? Now, I want everybody to turn around and look at Thesa's. Because Thesa is like the master of all things marking in your Bible. And, and Thesa comes from a very, very long history of people marking in their Bibles. Uh, if, if you have a Twitter account and don't follow the Museum of the Bible account, you ought to follow the Museum of the Bible account. It's a fantastic account, tons of church history, tons of literary history. And uh, this is technically called, see, see this, Thesa? This is called Lighting Up a Bible. And it was, this approach was created in the Middle Ages. So you are like super old school with the approach of coloring in. Like who knew that K was like just really resurrecting something from centuries past, right? So fantastic stuff there. So don't be afraid to write in this one. This is the reason I got you one so that you could write in it. Uh, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. I don't know if you've ever read a book where the author just halos you right into the action, but welcome to Mark, <laughs> right? The, the, some of you may know this, but uh, Mark is a narrative text. It's not an epistle where there's uh, this commentary and life advice, and we stop and we give this perspective of this is what is right and this is what is wrong. We are, we are given a story and are expected to be able to look at the story with the Spirit's help and to discern These are the truths that are there. So I want to make sure that we caution ourselves to look at everything that is in Mark and say, well, that is exactly how we are supposed to do things. Careful. There's a difference between the descriptive, what occurred, and the prescriptive, what we are supposed to do. So we'll try to use a little bit of wisdom as we go through this. We don't want to overthink it, but we don't want to miss it either. All right, so one of the the questions that I asked for almost every Sunday school class for a very long time is what are the most occurring words in a book of the Bible? And Mark's a bigger book than we typically do. So go to page six in your handout there and we'll look at the most repeated words in Mark. Now the the number in parentheses is how often these words show up in Mark. So if it feels like, for those of you that have read Mark, that when you read, you can't catch your breath it's because he never stops saying and, right? Mark's the guy that when he tells a story, doesn't breathe. He just keeps going. And this, and this, and this, and this, and, th- and it can be exhausting. 
right? Now, how many of you have, have read Mark and you have noticed the pace that he just goes? I mean, it's just this relentless, just we're just, we are going to move, right? So if you look at Matthew, you look at Luke, they start off with the genealogies. We spend some time when he was a baby. And by the end of Mark chapter 1, he has healed multiple people and his fame has spread, right? So we, we are well into the process. So here's what I would like. Um, I would like everybody that is under the age of 18, all right, everybody that is under the age of 18, I want you to take page six right now and get a pencil in one hand. And I'll, You got it? Excellent, good. Ava, you got, Ava, you got it? Excellent, good. I want you to read to yourself, you don't have to say them out loud, read every word on page six. Every time you come to a word that you don't know what that word is, I want you to circle it, Okay. Awesome. So you, that's your assignment real quick. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the words in here real quick. So, and, right? We, we feel like we got and. We're good to go here. Okay, okay great. The next column there, uh, Jesus. This is the most repeated name in Mark. So in case you're wondering what Mark is about, typically a book is about the character that you mentioned the most, right? So we, we'll start real easy, and then we're going to add things to it. Yes, Darla, that was a joke. Good job. You caught it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, immediately, we're going to go to another action story, right? So 36 times the word immediately shows up in Mark. So when you combine and with immediately, it's this sense of exhaustion as you go through. Uh, next biggest character in Mark is John, and then we get to Peter, and then we get to James, and then that uh, seventh column there down, the highlighted word is demons. You are going to notice as we go through Mark a tremendous amount of demonic opposition. Now, a lot of people read the Gospels and they go, this is normal. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. We should be as actively pursuing and aggressively fighting off demons as Jesus was. And I would say, pump the brakes just a little bit. Let's look and see if there's any direction for us as we go through and engage with these texts that talk about these. But let's not assume that just because Jesus did it, that's our calling to do the exact same thing. And then the last column there is Jerusalem. And many of you know that if you've read a gospel before, Jesus is headed somewhere during his ministry, right? Where is he headed? He's headed to the cross, right? And where is the cross? It's in Jerusalem, right? So the process of telling the life of Jesus is a process of unveiling him as the Son of God and getting him perfectly, flawlessly to Jerusalem to complete the, the job that he was sent to go and be, to perform, which is to be the sacrifice for all of us. Now, those of you that are under 18, have you come close to finishing? Ava, you good? How many words did you circle? I want you to count how many. Zero. How many did you circle? Zero. Is there anybody else do this? And you finished too? Excellent. Good. So what does this tell us about the vocab level in Mark? Right. It, it, this, this is not Romans, Right. Propitiation doesn't show up in Mark, <laughs> okay? It is not there. <laughs> it's not in there. These are really straightforward, simple words. And, and it's not just 
somebody, we've gotten a translation of the Bible that's really easy to understand. You go back and you look at the Greek, they're really simple, straightforward words, right? So this is a, a very e- like ease into text. So that's what I want us to get from uh, that page six. All right, so let's look at page seven for just a second. Now, uh, those of you that have been in my Sunday school class for a while know that I have a favorite computer program. Would anyone like to guess what my favorite computer program is? It is not C++, no. I would be lost in C++. My favorite program is what, Miss Amy? It's Excel. Yes, it is. It is Excel. And I, for quite some time, as we have been teaching through the Bible, thought that the process that I was going through, which was copying the English text into a Word document, going to a website, clicking on a button, looking at that Word, copying all the information over, pasting it, in, pasting it into a Word document, and then going to the next Word. And then going to, like it takes four to five hours a week of my time to go through and construct the handout for our class. So I thought, is it possible that I could find the data normalized somewhere in a way that I could use Excel to create the handout? <laughs> what you are looking at, the red and the black text, was created using Microsoft Excel. So we're making some improvements. And what this does is it makes sure that I don't make a copy-paste error, which happens every once Like, imagine that, right? So uh, I'm kind of pumped about this. If you would like to know more about that process, I would love to talk to you about that after church is over this morning. So you just, like, bring it. It's fantastic. What's that? Well, it shouldn't have been very suspicious. It was, should have been pretty obvious, right? So, all right, so let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter 1. I've got verses 1, 2, and 3 in your handout. I think that's probably a, maybe even a bit farther than we're going to get today. Uh, there's a reason it's going to take us a few years to get through Mark. It's okay. Uh, I had somebody say, what if Jesus comes back first? I'm like, that's a win. <laughs> like, why, why did you say it with that tone? <laughs> right? That's a win. <laughs> this is good. All right. So let's, uh, let's go through and I'll show you how to kind of interpret some of this. So we've got uh, verse one, the beginning so the Greek word here is arche, and if it, if it looks like the word arch, it's because it, it looks like the word arch, right? Uh, and this is a commencement, the beginning of a thing. Um, so that you see the G746, that's the Strong's number. So those of you know, those of you know who the, uh, Dr. Strong was, Strong's Concordance, that's how you can look words up. Uh, and then the actual Greek itself, uh, A-R-C-H, and then uh, the transliteration, the arche, and then the definitions. Now, do you see the number one? That's the first definition. You, you've ever gone to a dictionary, you looked in a dictionary and see the definition is like number one, number two, number three. All right, number one is the most common definition in the Bible. Number two is the next most common. Number three is the next most common, and so forth. So properly abstract a commencement. Uh, it's a chief. And then it occurs. So this word occurs in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, in Mark 10.6, in Mark 13.8, and in verse uh, in 13.19. So to show you where it occurs elsewhere in the text. Now, one of the things a good Bible student does is a good Bible student says, if something shows up in multiple places, we might ought to look in the multiple places where it shows up and see if there is a way in which it is used. So I'll give you an example of this. I heard this one a, a month or so ago. Um, if you've ever read the book of 1 Samuel, 
there's an object that shows up several times in Samuel. And it is a, a kingly robe. There's a kingly robe that shows up several times in Samuel. And this, whoever has the robe, like they have the, uh, the authority, and it is a, a represent, outward representation of this kingship. And if you read 1 Samuel looking for how the robe is used, you will see how God is working in and through David and Saul and putting his hand of blessing and removing his hand of blessing. And even after, uh, who was it that conjured the witch? Uh, was that Saul did that, right? But who, who was the who was the the witch of Endor conjured who? Samuel. Right. You know what Samuel was wearing? He was wearing a robe. It's meant to tie us back and to point us back to how this object was used earlier in the book. So when you see a word and you go, "That's an interesting word." What I want you to do is I want you to pull out your copy of Mark and I want you to turn to those different verses. I want you to see how it's used because several times in the book of Mark, and we're going to explore some of these. It won't be with RK, but we're going to explore some of these and look and see how this word was used all the way through the book. So these aren't just numbers to ignore. They are tools and resources that can help us understand a larger story that Mark is telling by the specific use of words. Now, the great thing here is that we don't have to worry about Mark accidentally using the wrong word because he had some help with this, right? So the Holy Spirit is breathing through him as he pens this book to make sure that the Holy Spirit gets exactly the words that the Holy Spirit wants. And it is a beautiful thing. So, the beginning. Now I want you to th stop and think for just a second. If you had to tell the story of Jesus to somebody that had never heard before, where would you start? So just, th just think about it for a second. Like where, would, where would I start with somebody who, who spoke my language but had never heard the story of Jesus before? And it's an, it's an interesting question, right? Because do you start before all things were created, that Jesus was present there? Do you start with his birth? Do you start with the Old Testament prophecy? Do you start with him showing up on earth and healing? Do you start with the fact that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins? Do you start in the future even that he is going to be in charge, right? In a way that is very visible in the book of Revelation. Where, where, where would you start? I, I think it's a very interesting question just to stop and consider for a second. Genesis 3, John 1. Do you know where uh, Mark started? No, actually not. Was the like this open book? That's that's my that's my second favorite quote from Brian Smith right now. My my favorite quote is I can't make the text say something different, right? Which is fantastic. Right? He starts in Isaiah. So he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah. This is where we begin. Right here in Isaiah. So, so he goes back. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's be real honest for just a second. How many of you would have... Yeah, thank you very much, because that's, that's my response. How many of you would have started in Isaiah? Like, oh, obviously, Isaiah. Like, no doubt. Anybody? Because like, it, it never... Like, if you listed all the books in the Bible, I'm not, not coming up with Isaiah, right? Wiseman came to 
Uh, it's Micah. Yep. Yep. I know that one because Gary says it so often. That's the Micah 5, 8, 2. Excellent. See? You know it too, right? Yeah. 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 Which is not a lot, right? For that scenario. Okay. Might want more than that, but. Uh, so the beginning of the gospel. So this is this word we just looked at just a second ago, right? Uh, Evangelion. This is this good news. This is this message about Jesus Christ. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't wince. He doesn't avoid. He doesn't divert. We're going straight to Jesus. So in the Greek, Jesus is the one, two, three, fourth word in Mark's gospel, which I love. Like Mark immediately gets to the point. You guys are just way asleep this morning. Like, come on. He immediately gets to the point? Nothing? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Tough crowd today. So, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when a word shows up 83 times, because it's, it's highlighted here for you, I did not list all 83 references. The first version of my spreadsheet listed all the references. The Word document that was output, 11-point font, was 2,041 pages long. And I said, I don't know that that's a functional tool at this point. We, I might need to scale that back a little. So I did this, and now the document's about 300 pages long, which is, like, that's a reasonable tool for a, a, something we're going to use for two and a half, four or five years. I don't know, right? So it'll be okay. So the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So this Christ is a title, right? This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. So he's immediately saying, this is the Messiah. This is uh, Jesus that is coming. And then I want to draw your attention to the very end of the verse. Do you see the little A that's highlighted? See the little A? Yeah? So this is a footnote. So let's go to the next page and look at footnote A. The great thing about the ESV is the ESV is very, very transparent about differences. So let's talk about differences for just a second. So the footnote A from Mark 1.1 says, Some manuscripts omit the Son of God. Now, in through the nose, out through the mouth. In through the nose, out through the mouth. There's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're going to talk about for just a second. And this is textual variance and textual criticism. So let's chat about this for a moment. Because you may not care about this in Mark chapter 1. But I promise you, you will care about it in Mark chapter 16. Because there's going to be something that happens in Mark 16 that is really, really significant. And I would love for us not to have a heart attack. When we get there, I would love for us to be well-informed and reasonably educated on what this is. So we're going we're gonna to rewind time for a little bit, okay? So we're going to go back to, there was some day in the past, around, you know, the 50s or 60s or 70s, whatever you want to pick, uh, when Mark sat down and actually put a quill, likely, to parchment, <laughs> right? And, and wrote down words, that were the gospel of Mark, okay? At the end of that, he very likely would have signed it. The original document, with very likely his autograph on it, 
Anybody want to guess what that's called? It's called the autograph, <laughs> right? It's, that's the original one. We have zero of these today, and I am exceedingly thankful we have none. And the reason I'm thankful we have none is that if we had a copy of the actual original, what would we do with it? We would worship it. That's right. It would be a relic, and there would be a fee charged to go see it, and we would, we would find a way to commercialize it. We would find a way to commercialize it. Right? It's just very, very likely what we would do. However, when Mark sent this document to somebody, the first thing they would have done would have been read it out loud in their church, which would have been really cool, right? And then what they would have done is start making copies and start making copies and start making copies. And in the copying process, it was not Control-C, Control-V. It was, I get another quill, I kill another animal, and away we go. Right? And it's extraordinarily tedious. So we make copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And then, oh, by the way, when they wrote letters to each other, just in general correspondence, they would quote massive portions of the Bible. We can actually construct virtually the entire New Testament just from the letters that the pastors of the early churches wrote back and forth to each other. They quoted the Bible to each other so much, which I think is really encouraging. Right? It's amazing, right? So, so if you think about the copies that we have from 100 years, 200 years after these original events, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. The Bible is by far the most reliably, historically accurate book on the planet from any period from for three, four, five hundred years ago. It is shocking. We, we have more copies that were first and second generation from the Bible than we do of the Declaration of Independence. Okay? Like, it's incredible how well copied it is. And think about this. If I take a pen, a quill, whatever, you get what I'm saying, and, I, and I'm going to hand copy something, am I going to get every single character correct every time? No. It's okay. It's absolutely okay. Some of us freak out about this concept. We get really nervous. Like, what do we do? We trust the Lord. Like, this is a great exercise in trusting the Lord. When things get difficult in our lives, what do we do? We trust the Lord. When things are easy in our lives, what do we do? We trust the Lord. When things are in the middle, what do we do? We trust the Lord. <laughs> Actually, usually we, we ignore the Lord. Uh, but we ought to be trusting the Lord. So what we have here is we have manuscripts that are of different ages that disagree very slightly. Now, Mark mentions that Jesus is the Son of God a few times in the book of Mark. And it is exceedingly obvious that he is God as you go through the book of Mark. All of the variants where this manuscript disagrees with this manuscript, in Mark, the ESV will footnote them for us. And it is very, very helpful. And what the ESV has done, they have said, well, we have a, we like to go back to the oldest version possible and study the differences between that older version and a slightly newer version and see if we can figure out what, well, maybe we can tell what the actual original autograph had. And the study, the science of that study is called textual criticism. Okay. And they have been doing this for decades and decades and decades. This is not a new thing. 
So, I say all that to say, the phrase, the Son of God, is it in the text that you are looking at, or is it not in the text? It is in the text, right. The authors of the ESV have looked at the original manuscripts, the early copies, and have said, there is good support for putting this into this book. And they have been very transparent about some copies don't have this. So we're going to flag this and let you know. Okay? Everybody with me on this one? Yeah? All right. Questions about this? I'm going to look slowly as we go around. Yes, ma'am. So I have several friends who are... Yes. Good. Thank you. Thank you for engaging people. Yes. Yep. Yep. Right. Which I would substantially push back on the accuracy of that statement, and you should too. And there's a whole lot of research to do in that space, but like you ought to really push back on that claim because there's a lot of really good counter arguments there. But go ahead. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's all the places where the Bible doesn't agree with the Bible or something like that. Right? That's right. That's right. Yep, that's right. Right. Yep. Sure. So let me give you a couple more data points then, because it sounds like you've got a gun that might be lacking a few bullets. So let's, let's load some bullets in, all right? So when you, um, when you look at all the variants, and that's the technical term for this, right? The, the variations in the manuscripts. And you add them all up, and you say, well, what, what does the sum of all this look like? It looks like, and some of y'all are going to get really offended at what I'm about to say, so just just put your offensive glasses on, filter, I don't know, just get ready. Uh, they don't matter. Okay? There's not a single doctrine in the Bible that is impacted by the variants from the original manuscripts. Not a single one. The Trinity is abundantly, exceedingly clear. The fact that Jesus is God is abundantly, exceedingly clear. The fact that he is the only substitute for our sins is exceedingly, abundantly clear. So, the Quran calls out Jesus, because I've read the Quran a couple of times, uh, a couple, uh, calls out Jesus as a prophet. And the Quran also says that prophets don't lie. So a good Muslim comes to a contradiction very, very quickly. Because either Jesus is telling the truth about him being God, or the Quran has a problem. So in, in 30 seconds... In a very non-disrespectful way, right? You, you, 
You hear the tone, right? Let's, let's point back. And what I would encourage you to do, let's read the New Testament. And let's read the Quran. Absolutely, put them next to, sit next to each other. There is only one word of God. And his name is not Allah. So, um, I would strongly encourage you to dig and dive and jump in. And there is no doctrine that is impacted by the textual variance, uh, which is beautifully wonderful. Right? Because if Jesus' divinity was hanging in the balance on whether we trust this one or this one, whew, but it's not, right? Jesus is God. It is beautifully wonderful, and he is our Messiah. And Mark can't wait to get to him. And I'm going to answer, or I'm going to see Daniel Goble's hand in the back, so, and I'm thirsty. What's the math on what? Significantly better than 90% of them agree perfectly. It's a, it, it's a shockingly high amount of alignment in these. So, so those that argue errors in the Bible are, are taking the outliers that occur and trying to make them. If you want to argue textual variants uh, result in errors in the Bible, then you have to discard every writing from everybody more than three or four hundred years ago. Because we have better evidence of the Bible than anything else. Like you can't trust anything Plato, Socrates, or Aristotle that you think they said. Some of those things we have one or two copies several hundred years after they were alive. Like one or two. And I have several thousand copies within a hundred, two hundred years of the Bible. It's not even remotely close. So what I would... When I, when I have conversations like this, what I typically say is, what's on your library shelves? You have anything from this guy or 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 this guy? Or this guy, or this guy? You have to throw them all away. Because if you say the Bible's not true because of this argument, you can't trust any of these other authors. And people start to reel really quickly. They're like, well, hang on just a sec. You know, because these guys, we know that. Well, you know that's because it's written in a textbook? Same logic, right? So the, here's the beautiful thing. When we talk to people about the authority and the accuracy and the reliability of the Scripture, we can be very sure because it is truth. So I, I love being able to stand up and go, bring the questions. That's great. I may not have the answers for all of them, but I am basing my eternity on this. Bring it, you know. All right, Dave, I saw your hand next. And Dave, David, I'm coming right to you next. Okay. Of course, they're Ha, ha, ha. 
Yeah. Doesn't go very well, does it? All right. David? Yeah, so uh, some of you are coming to the realization right now as to why I said it's going to take us a few years to get through Mark. Because it's time to stop today. And we did verse 1. I'm excited about this series. Now, so what we're going to do as we go through is we're going to take our time and we're going to explore. And I'm going to answer Thesa's question. Thesa's going to be, or Thesa, raise your hand. Probably doesn't have a question. Thesa's got a comment. Yes. 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 you're not familiar with the word canon, canon is just the, the text of the actual Bible, the 66 books. So. That's right. That's right. That's right. Amen. All right. So we didn't do apply or personalize. So what would be a good application from today's text? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say, uh, what's the point of verse one? The gospel begins with Jesus. What do we do with that? Maybe we ought to start with Jesus. Mark did. Worked out pretty well. <laughs> So next week, we'll start with Mark 1, verse 2. <laughs> so <clears throat> you see our schedule there underneath the apply and the personalized? Mark 1, put the 2 in the blank. That's your only blank today. There you go. So our homework, pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times. Think about Mark often, day and night. Talk with someone that are alive about Mark. Share your insights about Mark. Invite a member and a non-member. And don't forget to subscribe. All of our contact info is at the bottom. So thank you for coming to Sunday School today. Thank you for engaging. This is what Sunday school is going to look like. It's going to look like a lot more engagement as we go through Mark. So bring it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.